0: Amen. Because of the fullness of our service this morning, we uh, do not have a hymn or psalm of preparation. So if you would take your Bibles and join me now in turning to Revelation chapter 3. If we look at verses 1 through 6. So Revelation chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. And if you've been with us over the past few months, You know, we are looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. We come now to the fifth church, the church in Sardis. You may have noticed, as we've been looking at churches, so far there's only been one church that was doing well, and that was the church in Smyrna. These other churches all had some sort of issue. Now, we looked at these, uh, they, they each had their own particular context, they each had their own particular issue but as we look at them as a whole, we find that all these churches and all their issues share something in common. And that they have chosen, they have made a deliberate decision to turn away from Jesus and to turn away from His Word. Now, it may not have been a complete turning away, but instead of choosing as a church and choosing as a people to be fully face-to-face with Jesus, at some point along the way, they decided to start turning more and more away from Jesus. Still trying to keep an eye on him. Still trying to keep maybe a a, a big toe or a few toes in his word, but turning more away from Jesus and his word into the world. So for whatever reason and context, we find that these churches, these Christians, are somewhere along the way in the process of choosing to turn away from Jesus And choosing to not obey his word. And what we see in these churches, in their testimonies, what we see throughout Scripture, is this never turns out well. There's never a single testimony of a church or a Christian that can say, I ignored Jesus, I turned away from Jesus, and my life turned out great. And we see that Jesus, with each of these churches, graciously offers a warning. He says, here's what you were doing wrong. Here's some things you're doing well. Here's some things you're doing wrong. Here's how you can rectify it. But if you don't, there are consequences to your actions. And that same warning is offered to us. Although these letters were written some 2,000 years ago, the issues are still there as we will see this morning in the church in Sardis. There's still that temptation for us as a church, there's still that temptation for us as a people to not want to be fully face-to-face with Jesus, but to turn slightly more and more and more to the world. And Jesus tells each of us, it will not end well for you. If you make the willful and deliberate choice to turn away from your Lord and Savior, and you made the willful and deliberate choice to, to choose disobedience instead of faithful, this, instead, of, instead of choosing disobedience instead of faithful obedience, it will not end well for you. And we see that trend continue this morning in our passage to the church addressed in Sardis. So as we come to God's word together, We pray for our time as we prepare to open his word. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we may not only hear your word, but we may believe it. That we may receive it as your word, that we may rest upon Christ as he has been offered to us here, we find in Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Do this, Lord, for your glory and for our good. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6, we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Oh, Amen. You may be seated. One of my all-time favorite movies, and I think it's one of my all-time greatest movies, is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A great movie, and I think an even better soundtrack. You've never seen it? I recommend it, especially the soundtrack. But the story is set in the 1930s and set in rural Mississippi. And there's three guys, uh, convicts who have escaped from the chain gang: Pete, Delmore, and Ulysses Everett McGill. And they escape from the chain gang so they can go and find, and uh, go on a hunt to find this hidden treasure. They've heard word about some hidden treasure out there, in Mississippi. They're gonna go and find it. So, of course, in the movie, in the story, there's all sorts of kind of hijinks and going-ons and so on and so forth. But at some point after their escape, at some point they're searching for a treasure. These three come upon a local river. And there at this local river is a local church, and they're having their baptism service. And the congregation is dressed all white. The, the pastor's out there in the river. And, and, and the congregation is all coming down to be baptized as they're singing that wonderful hymn, Down to the River to pray. And so as they come upon this scene, when the convicts, Delmar, gets all caught up in it. It's a beautiful scene. It's a beautiful scene. He gets caught up in it. And so he makes his way. He runs down to the river so he can get baptized. Runs down. The pastor takes him, And they're obviously Baptists. They're not Presbyterian because they didn't get sprinkled. He was fully dunked. Uh, so Del- Delmar becomes a Baptist. And they dunk him under. He comes up. And he looks at his three friends. And he says, well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed away all of my sins and transgressions. It's the straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven alas, is my reward. Come on in, boys. The water is fine. But as you continue on the story, you see that Delmer still struggles. He struggles with his sins. He really struggles with walking on the straight and narrow. He still feels this strong pull to his old sins. And to living a life that's marked more by disobedience than by obedience. And what we see with Delmer, And what we've talked a little bit about this morning in Romans 7 at Sunday school. Is that tension between faithful Christianity and nominal Christianity. Struggling with that tension between being faithful or semi-faithful. Because each Christian has a choice to make. Do I live all my life for Jesus? Do I I say along with Paul, for me to live is Christ? Do I take heed to what Jesus says, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Do I choose that sort of faith and obedience, or do I do the minimal? Do I do just enough so I can still flirt and dance with the world and Satan? Do I give my all to the God who has given me his all? Or do I choose to do just a bare minimum so I hope I don't go to so I hope I don't go to hell? And my life looks more like a disciple of Satan than a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the tension there, isn't it? Do I give it my all for Jesus? Or do I think myself better than him and keep some life for myself? As we look at the church in Sardis, we find a church that struggled with that tension and they failed. They started faithful. They started as a good church. They started face to face with Jesus and things were going well. Then people in the church, even the church itself began to turn more and more away from Jesus and they end up becoming nominal. They walked at once faithfully with Jesus. But now it seems like with their left hand, they're, tr- they're trying to hold on to Jesus with what, while with their right hand, they're holding on to Satan and the world. And Jesus has very strong words for nominal church and faith like this. And here's a spoiler alert. The warning is this. Nominal Christians go to hell. Period. We'll talk about here in a few moments that those who stay faithful, not perfect, but faithful, those who, who want to be face to face with Jesus, those who seek to live for Jesus, he says, I will write your name, the eternal book of life. And I will confess your name before my father and the angels. That's for faithful Christians. Nominal Christians, your name's not in the book. A nominal church, Jesus would never dare utter your name in heaven. So this is a strong passage. And these are strong words that Jesus has for nominal Christianity. Now he addresses the church in Sardis by using the history of that city, the city of Sardis. And the history is this, the city was located in an ideal situation, It was was positioned on a huge promontory that that jutted out from a mountain range, and at the south end of it, it had a very large and very fertile valley. It sat about 1,500 feet above the Florida Valley. It wasn't really connected to the mountain range, and so it had sheer cliffs on all sides. It was perfectly protected, so it it, it had this this strategic, nearly impregnable location. And so, because of that, Sardis had this long history of prosperity. Nobody could get to them. They said could succeed there. They could do well. They had this long history of prosperity. Yet their situation made the people in Sardis arrogant and lazy. Because they had everything. They had a choice location. They didn't think could get to them. They had a great climate. They, 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 could, they could grow all sorts of crops. They had a really good economy. They had plenty of wealth. They had a really good culture. And because of all these blessings, all these good things... They were lulled into thinking that they were invincible. Nothing bad could happen to them. They had all these good things. They were living a good life. So, what could possibly go wrong? But over the course of the history of the city, in spite of all these good things, in spite of strategic location, they were captured several times, and each time is because the watchman on duty fell asleep. They were assigned to watch the city at night. But they were a product of their city. They were a product of the culture. They'd grown arrogant. They'd grown grown lazy. Why should I stay up all night looking out for enemies when, 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 when nobody can get to us? So they kicked their feet up on the desk, tilted their head back, and they fell asleep. And the enemy used those opportunities to conquer the city. And so the church in Sardis would know that knew the history of their city. And Jesus is using that history to say to them, the same things happened to your city, is happened to you as a church. What has happened in the city is now happening to you. He's saying, I have blessed you with so much. You as a church, you are the people, you've been blessed with so much. You've taken it for granted. You've grown lazy in faith. You've grown lazy in practice. And you are now marked more by following the world and Satan more than me. And he says very clearly, that cannot stand and that cannot last. The church in Sardis have become a nominal church. They profess faith in Jesus. And they did some things here and there for Jesus. But ultimately, they were marked more by obeying Satan in the world than by obeying Jesus. And that's really the summary of nominal Christianity, isn't it? Willing to give a little here and there to Jesus. I'll throw Jesus a bone here and there. But overall, you're more interested in the world. You're more interested in doing what's against Jesus than being for Jesus. Your life is being marked more for Satan than for Christ. And that's nominal Christianity. So as we look at this further, I want to encourage you to follow along with me as best as you can. The Lord has preserved this word for us for a reason. And it may be that you're here this morning, and the best that can be said about your faith is that it is a nominal faith. You're doing well enough to get up and come to church. Maybe this Sunday. We'll see what happens next Sunday. You're doing well enough to get up to come to church. But you're not going to give it your all for Jesus. There's too many other good things to be involved with in life. The best that can be said about your faith is that it's a nominal faith. And that's not really a faith at all. As Jesus says, your name will be blotted out, the book of life. But it also makes sense as a warning to us as a church. A warning that we're not to grow lazy and complacent. Because we do have it good. As we, as we look at other situations around the world, what's going on with churches around the world, around the nation, we're doing well. It was easy for us to sit back and go, we've got it made. But we're called to stay diligent in doctrine and theology and faith. And this morning as I was getting ready, I came across this devotion. I just want to read this to us as we get, as we get started. One flaw spoils the diamond. One treason makes a traitor. One wrong turn sends a man out of the way. One leak sinks the ship. One wound strikes Goliath dead. And one Deliah betrays Samson. So many Christians, so many people, by favoring one sin, lose God, heaven, and their souls forever. Sin favored always ends and tragedy. And let's keep that in mind this morning as we look further at this. As we see with the other churches, Jesus begins his letter to the church in Sardis with a description of himself. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now to understand this, we have to go back to chapter 1. In the chapter 1, there's talk about seven spirits and seven stars Really, the summary of it is this. The seven spirits refers to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We we see that in the New Testament. We think about the baptism of Jesus. When he comes up out of the water, John John the Baptist is baptized him and comes out of the water. Who comes down? The spirits comes down as a dove, referring to Jesus having the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's the seven spirits. And the seven stars refers to his church. So what Jesus is doing is introducing himself by saying... He is king over his church. He is the the Messiah. He is the Lord and Savior. He is king over his church. And he cares very much for his church. And he cares very much for what we we do as his church. That's why in his inspired word we find a relationship described as he is the bridegroom. We are the bride. We are his people. He is our Lord. We We are his siblings. He is the elder brother. And so Jesus is saying to his church in Sardis, these are my words of authority. I'm the one who's over you. I'm the one who's over all church. I'm the one who sees over all that you do. do, And I'm the one who cares more about what you do than even you do yourselves. So from this position of loving authority, what's the first thing he says to the church in Sardis? I know your works. Now there's something strange here. Because in the other churches, it begins uh, with a list of good things. Jesus commends them, here's what you've been doing well. He starts with the good news, right? And that's always kind of good personal relationship right there, right? When when you've got to go to somebody and deal with them, it's always good to say, here's what you've been doing well. But here's where we have issues. That's out the window here with Sardis. Jesus jumps right in with the bad news first. This is who I am. And I know your works. That's a chilling statement. And that's a statement that's worthy of a sermon in itself. Because what Jesus is saying here is. I have an intimate knowledge of everything about you as a church. And you as a people. I know you better than you know yourself. Jesus is saying he has a knowledge of what's both public and private. Of what they said and what they didn't say. Of their thoughts of their motives, of their emotions, of their desires. He's saying to them, I know everything about you. Who, what, when, why, how, whatever it is, I know everything about you. And that's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought for them because they had to have known that they were turning away from Jesus. As we said before, we're here this morning because we're good Southern Christians. And good Southern Christians go to church on Sunday mornings. As good Southern Christians, we've, we've learned that it may be good to have a good Christian church mask. And we learned when we need to put it on and who we need to wear it around. We also learned when we can take that mask off and let our true self be seen. We know to put that mask on when our reputation is on the line. But we also know when it's safe to take it off. And what we find is, there is no mask that can hide our real self from Jesus. There is no mask we can put on that can fool Jesus. He knows you. He knows me. He's the one that knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the one who fearfully and wonderfully made you. He's the one who can discern every thought, everything about you. He knows you better than you will ever know yourself. And that should be a sobering thought to us. Because Jesus knows why you're really here this morning. Jesus knows what you've already done this weekend. He knows what you said. He knows what you thought. He knows what you desire. He knows what you're going to do once you leave here this morning. He knows how much you love him. He knows how much you don't love him. He knows you better than you know yourself. And there is no mask we can put on that ever fool Jesus is thinking, I'm a pretty good person. Because he knows who you and who I, who we really are. And we look at this with Sardis. He says he knows who they really are and what was that? They had a good church mask. And people thought they were a pretty good church. When in reality, they were as dead as a doornail. They were a church full of good people. People you would enjoy going to church with. Maybe even going out with them Friday nights, going on vacation with They were just good old people. Jesus said their spiritual hearts were as dead as a pagan down the street who would never darken the doorway of a church. We know that old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. It's what what's taking place on the inside that matters. Well, Jesus says, you Sardis, first ARP church of Sardis, you are a hypocritical church because you're full of nominal Christians. You say the right things, you know most of the answers. You know when to wear your good mask. But he knows how much they love the world. And how much they love the ways of the world. And he knew when they couldn't wait to take off their Christian mask and grab hands with the world and dance with the devil as they made their way further down the path to hell. It reminds us of the prophecy of Isaiah twenty-nine, thirteen, where the Lord says, because his people drew near Sorry, because as people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. So, it's a damning prophecy, isn't it? Because what does it say? You can have all the right answers. You can say all the right things. But I know your hearts. And some of you people's hearts are a million miles away from me. Could that be said about you? You're here this morning. You know one right answer, and that's to say yes to go to church. You probably, know more, you probably know more right answers than that. But where is your heart? Is it with Jesus? Or even now, do you feel the long and the pull? Get out of here. Get away. Let me go enjoy myself. Could the same be said about us as a church? As far as I understand, our church has a wonderful reputation in town. Inspire their pastor. Full of good people, say good things, look the right way, have the right mask. Are we full of people who our hearts are far from Jesus? Do we find that we want to hold hands with the world and dance with the devil? more than we would ever want to walk with Jesus. People draw near with their mouth and honor with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus' in His graciousness tells us what we can do to rectify this. He says, wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in sight of my God. It's a very simple command, isn't it? Wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. Wake up and smell the coffee so you can be aware of the danger that's not only surrounding you, but it's now made its way into the church. What's happened to the people has now begun to affect the church. And that, that's the truth for any church. It takes one bad fruit to spoil the bunch, doesn't it? But, but notice the responsibility here. So it's what the people, Jesus says to them, you need to wake up. You need to wake up so you can strengthen what remains. They need to wake up so that they, through the grace of God in Christ, can, can strengthen the little spiritual good that remains. They need, which means this. They need to heed the word of God. Which means this. They need to listen to the word of God. Which means this. They need to be reading the word of God. Which means this. They need to know what their Bibles are past Sunday morning. Should be bringing it with them on Sunday morning. But should be having it with them past Sunday morning. The responsibility lies with them. They need to put the effort into this. Jesus isn't going to come down and force them to love him. Jesus isn't going to come down and force them to be the church they ought to be. Jesus isn't going to come down and make them do that. They need to wake up so they can strengthen. So that through this, they can be renewed in zeal and passion for Jesus. They need to dedicate themselves to being Christians. They need to dedicate themselves to the means of grace, of word, prayer, sacrament, and fellowship my guess is, they began to neglect, they began to neglect that. They, they began to neglect these things, and so they were lulled into complacent, nominal Christianity. We don't hear from Jesus. We don't talk to Jesus. We don't spend time with other Christians. That makes you the devil's playground. What's the old saying? The idle hands makes sure for the devil's playground. I know I'm messing it up, but y'all, y'all get what I'm trying to say. An idle spiritual life makes for a heyday for Satan. So Jesus tells them, remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. So, 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 so here's what Jesus says. Wake up so you can remember and Repent. Remembering is an integral part of Christian life. We, where we remember past blessings. That are, I, I, remembering past blessings is at the heart of Christian, of the covenant life. Before God sent Israel to the promised land, they were called to remember all God's blessings. Before they were to take possession of this land, God said, remember who I am. And remember what I have done for you. When we look at the Ten Commandments, they're introduced in the same manner. Remember. And so we're called to do the same. We need to remember the goodness of God. We need to remember who God, we need to remember all the blessings God has given to us because that will help with repentance. How do we turn away from our sin? To remember the goodness of God. How do we turn away from our sins? To remember the goodness of living for God. Remembering goes with repentance. It reminds us that God has provided God is providing and God will provide. And this will only be ingrained into us when we remember him, his past work and his blessings that lead to repentance. So we will live more in those blessings than in his discipline. But Jesus warns, if you don't wake up and repent, then you will cease to exist. He says, you will cease to be a church because you cease to remember me. You've ceased to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've ceased to love your neighbors as yourselves. But thankfully, there's a remnant in the Sardis church. Jesus encourages them this way. You still have a few names in Sardis. People who have not sold their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out by the book of life or never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father before his angels. So Jesus says to this faithful remnant in Sardis, "Be encouraged, stay with me. Don't fall in normal Christianity. be faithful because what does faithfulness lead to, an eternal life with Jesus. And I like the way he describes it. It's an eternal life where Jesus knows your name. And he says he will write your name down in the eternal book of life. And I think the idea there is he doesn't have a, you know, a, a bick, he's writing it down, or a quill. I think the idea there is Jesus takes his own blood. The blood of the sovereign Lord, the blood of the second person of the Trinity, the blood that was shed for you on the cross, he takes his blood and he writes your name with his blood in the book of life. Isn't that a wonderful promise? It's not in pencil where it can be erased. It's not ink that can fade away over time. Your name is written in the blood of Jesus. And then he will go before his father and for the angels and he will confess your name. He will say to them, this is my disciple." This is my chosen beloved. This is who I died for. This is who followed faithfully after me. Yes, Father, he's failed and that's why I'm here. But he, he or she has followed faithfully after me even in the hard times. And isn't that what we want? I don't think a single one of us is here with the goal of saying, I want to go to hell. I don't think any one of us is here this morning with the goal of saying, when I get to heaven, I want the gates to shut against me. And the escalator to take me down, and the gates of hell to be thrown wide open, and the devil would say, So excited you're here, been here you're here. I've been waiting for you. Well, how do we take hold of this blessing of the promise of Jesus? By taking the warning here seriously. It's easy for us to follow nominal Christianity. Look, all of us here, I know you. We live good lives. Nice homes, cars, clothes, plenty of food for some of us. We live good lives. There have been tough times. But we live a comfortable life. And that comfortable life is a blessing from God. But we have to ask, what's the purpose? We look at a church in Sardis. And we have to ask, does God want to get so comfortable that we begin to neglect Him? Because we know how... A comfortable life goes. We can skip church this Sunday. What's the harm in that? We, we don't need to go on Wednesday nights. We don't need youth group, we don't need children's group, we don't know Bible study and prayer. We've we got other things we, we'd rather be doing. I don't, I don't need to get involved with Bible studies. Because I've got these other things I'd rather do when we begin to choose this thing over church, choose that activity over prayer, choose this over being God's word, that's where nominal Christianity starts to come in. Because what's the equation? You want to give very little to get a whole lot. And then we get to the point where hard things happen and we look at God and go, Why? Why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? And we look back. What are we giving to God? Who's given so much to us? So we have to be serious about our faith. This isn't a hobby, this isn't a safety net, this isn't a side job. Paul doesn't say for me to live as a part, for me to live for Christ is a part-time job. For me to live as Christ. Christianity is life because Jesus gave his life for you. And it's meant to affect all all of you and all that you do. It's an all or nothing faith. We must be serious about it because God is serious about us. That's why Jesus ends with these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May we have ears to hear and minds to heed this warning. So we don't find out too late that we have been more nominal than faithful more of a follower of Satan than Jesus and we get to heaven and find my name is not written in the book of life and Jesus turns away from me and would never dare confess my name in heaven may we heed this warning and may we heed it now pray with me